Well, welcome. I'm glad you guys came to, to worship with us this morning. It is an exciting time. We've got a lot going on right now, so it's a good time to, to be here and check out things at our church. This morning we're continuing on this message series that we've been walking through on relationships and just how messy they are. Really asking the question, is it worth the mess? Um, all relationships are messy. Your friendships are messy. Your roommate, the relationships with your roommates, that's messy. Your coworkers, that's messy. Your boss, it's messy. Marriage, that's a given. That's messy. It just, relationships are very, very challenging. And so we're going to talk about this whole area this morning. Keep looking to the Word of God for insight as to how to really navigate through this. I'd like to um, make you aware of something before we start, though. Uh, the church that we came from, our church began five years ago. We were sponsored by a church in Diamond Bar. And that, that church in Diamond Bar, Church in the Valley, they are launching, uh, today's their grand opening for their new site in Alhambra. And so uh, I'd like to pray for them as they're kind of launching a new chapter in the church over there. We're still heavily connected to them and their efforts. And so um, well, let's pray for them. I know five years ago when we started, they paused and prayed for us before we began. So I want to pray for them. So let's pray. Father, again, we just pause to say thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for drawing us here this morning, getting up, us up out of bed and just bringing us here. Lord, thank you for those that are here to, uh, uh, to be baptized and to just publicly announce their faith to others and also for those that are here to support them. Lord, we thank you for bringing people here to celebrate God and just for the opportunity we have as a church to celebrate these things together. Uh, we pray for Church in the Valley right now, and Pastor Randy Lanthrop, as he leads out. I just ask that you give him courage, Lord, that you draw all the people that you want there at that service for their grand opening, Lord, that, that you just overwhelm them with new guests and new faces and families and individuals that, are, um, that you have been working on their lives and that you would draw to yourself and, and use that congregation to help them grow. We just pray for them, God, that you would just uh, work through them, encourage them today, God. Also just lift up families here in Riverside, God, that have been impacted with just the recent, recent just tragic events, Lord, with shooting. And God, we pray for um, the family of um, Officer Michael Crane and just his wife and his two kids, God. Um, our heart breaks, Lord, to hear that news and to see um, what went on this past week. Lord, we pray, God, that you would just really, um, you are near, God. You say the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, we know that you are present, God, in grief, and Lord, you do work in these times. So, Lord, I pray that people, many, many people would reach out to find you, to connect with you. And God, I pray that um, you'd be bringing comfort, God, even now to that wife and to those kids, Lord. And God, we long to to see you, Lord Jesus, because we know there's so much, God, that, that we see in this world that is just not right. And it's broken. And Lord, we need you to change and correct it. And so, Lord, would you um, give us hope this morning, God, for the things that we're facing. And um, so we lift, lift these things to you, God. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you want, you can pull out this little listening guide here, this white listening guide, and we'll walk through this together as we talk about the messiness of our relationships. Most of the time, when my relationships get into conflict... I think it's their fault. I mean, you're the same. In my marriage, in my f- close friendships, I naturally think initially, they, they're missing something here. They don't see their fault 
they don't see their problem. And so it's easy to just think that most of our problems are external. It's all their fault. It's all out there. It's all in them. You know, it's all of you. As I'm looking at you, it's all your fault. You know, it's not my fault. That's naturally how we think. We naturally want to push out. But the problem is, <laughs> there's something going on inside of us that's, that's the core issue. And so I want to show you a video clip before we really launch in. Um, this video clip is, is of a married couple who's complaining. This marriage is, is really not doing well. It's intentions from the movie Fireproof. But I want to show you this clip and look at where the blame is being directed. Okay? This is what is normal. We always want to point the finger at everyone else when problems crop up. So take a look. Honey, I agree with you. You got to get out. He don't deserve you. You can say that again. A real man's got to be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. Uh, he ain't a real man. Catherine, do you need a place to stay? I can't imagine living in the same house with that man. No, I decided last night that I'm not the one that's leaving. He's the problem, not me. That's right, girl. Stand your ground. Make him respect you. If there's one thing a man understands... It's respect. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. She shows me no respect at all. And the saddest part about it is... He doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Mm. You know, he probably thinks... Our marriage has been fine until this year. Now, all of a sudden, she goes off the deep end. Do you really think this happened all of a sudden? I don't know what to think. I don't understand her. She's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. I mean, he's so insensitive. You know? He doesn't truly care how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. Even if I say it over and over and over again. And then she starts nagging me and, and saying I don't listen to her or, or something like that. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. You know, he doesn't understand my needs. I feel like we are completely and totally incompatible. She's probably whining to her friends, making me sound like a criminal. I can see him all right now, crying, having some sort of group hug. It's going to be okay, oh, sweetie. Oh, it's going to be all right. You'll get through this. Yeah, we have you. We have back. The common thread between what the husband was saying, what the wife was saying, was it's really their fault. It's really them. They're the problem. And this is true. Your roommates, if you have strain with them, it's, it's their fault, isn't it? It's, it's so natural for us to think it's their fault. And it's true. The other person in this relationship that you're having problems with, something that is true about them is that they're weak and they're sinful, natively. They don't have to work at it. They're just born this way. We're all born this way. That's the problem. They're weak and sinful, and unfortunately, so are we, all of us. We're, we're natively sinful people. We natively do selfish things. We natively go after what we want. We push others aside. Scripture says that our biggest problem is an internal one. That's the fill in the blank at the top. This is the major issue we all face. We have this internal problem called sin. Look at what James, the, in the New Testament, God says this through author James. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks this question. Think about it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? The Bible says, don't they just come from your desires that battle within you? Yep, that's the problem. The real problem is it's inside each one of us. We all want what we want for ourselves. And we have placed getting what we want as the ultimate thing in our life. We've placed that as ultimate. We've placed God and others as secondary. And the Bible says this is sin. But the desire to get what we want, it wreaks havoc in our hearts torments our relationships, 
And since we've elevated our desires above everything else, then what that does is it puts every single relationship in our life at risk. Like all of your relationships. All of my relationships. Because I'm sinful. Because you're sinful. All of our relationships are at risk. This is a problem. We've got an internal core struggle. Look at what Paul said. Paul's a first century church planter. He described this same tension, but in his own words. And he sounds really confused, so let's walk through it kind of slowly. He says, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He's got this internal struggle going on. Then he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, meaning if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, he says, I agree that the law, or God's law, is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, Paul says. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. How many of you, you know, have struggled with, man, I, I, I have the desire, I really wanted to do what was good, but I can't pull it off? Probably today. I mean, I, I had the desire to do some things better than I did already today. I just can't seem to pull it off. I can't carry it out. He goes on in verse 18 and says, I know that nothing good lives in me. Nothing. Nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. I can't carry it out. For what I do is, is not the good that I want to do. No, it's the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He's like, I want to do this. I want to treat people right. I want to talk right. I want to be kind, merciful, gentle, forgiving. I want to do all these things, but the stuff I don't want to do, be proud, be selfish, be arrogant, be spiteful. Man, I keep on doing those things. Why is that? Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Sin was... See, Paul's not escaping responsibility here saying, yeah, you know, I'm not taking responsibility for anything I've done. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, it really is the picture of sin was once my master. It was once the ruler. But for Paul and for Christians, sin is no longer master. It no longer reigns in, in our lives. But it managed to somehow survive and, and re- remain in us. So sin is still a part of our lives. We still have to wrestle with the sin nature. Holy Spirit has, has moved in. So if you've ever yielded your life to Christ, if you've become a Christian, now God Himself, through the personal Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. The moment you say, yes, Jesus, I want you to take charge of my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to be the Lord, the boss of my life. At that moment that you make that decision, a genuine heart decision, in faith, in that moment, Holy Spirit comes to move inside. He lives inside of you. And now the power to do what's right and what's good and all these things that Paul's saying, I want to do the good, the power is there. But the sin nature is still there. That's not completely done away with. Now look at where where it goes. Verse 21 says, Paul says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, and evil is right there with me. Have you ever felt that way? Like I'm trying to do good. You spend the morning, you're in devotion, you have a good time with the Lord, you pray, you read the Word, and all of a sudden, within 30 minutes, you've just lost it. You got angry, you're harsh, you had horrible thought come to your mind, you acted, you're like, wow, I, where is this coming from? Paul says, evil is right there with me. This desire to, to have what we want, it doesn't go away. Verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
on the inside. I want to please God, Paul says. I want to do what is right, what is true, what is good. Verse 23, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Then he says, he like throws his hands up. Man, what a mess. Obviously, he's confused. You know, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what I don't want to do. And what a wretched man I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, he, he just throws up his hands. And he says, thank God in Jesus I can be forgiven. Because I am somewhat a mixed bag who's going to wrestle with my heart and this mixed, broken sinful and, and at the same time redeemed state. I'm just going to wrestle with this tension all my life. Thanks be to God in Jesus. He, he can rescue me. Look at some of the terms. Back up to verse 21 and look at some of the terms that Paul uses. Paul says that there's this law in verse 21 that, that we're dealing with. He says that the, the law, if you can pull it up. So I find this law at work. A law explains an inescapable principle like the law of gravity Gravity is a principle, or it's a law that you know you don't defy. You don't step off a building because you know, I trust in the the law of gravity. It's inescapable. I will fall. I will get hurt. I don't jump off things that I you know might break my legs if I'm too high. I'm, I respect the laws. And he says in the same way, you know, this the law of sin. There's there's this. There's this thing I can't escape. I can't choose to just be free from its influence until you're finally delivered from this life. The power and the presence of sin is going to be a part of all of our lives. There's power that sin still has to wreak havoc in our lives. It's a law that we're faced with. And on our own, we can't just escape. Our relationships are not going to be um, safe because of sin. Then he uses the word war. If you look at the next verse, he says there's this war. War illustrates the ever-present struggle between I want to do what's right, but I'm also struggling with the sin that's still working inside of me. There's this war. I'm, being, I'm battling back and forth. Then he uses the term prisoner. It makes me a prisoner, he says, in my mind. A prisoner is someone, it describes someone who's lost their freedom. You, know, you want to do what's right, but instead you keep getting pulled towards your sin. Then he uses the term rescue. Who will, who will rescue me? It's a dramatic word he uses. And in light of the first three terms, law, war, prisoner, this word really stands out. When you need rescue, it basically means, man, you're hopeless. You need outside help. You need someone to reach in your life and to pull you out of this thing, to rescue you. That's exactly what has happened is we have been rescued in Christ. You may, you may be at a place right now where you've, you feel like, yeah, I'm not really sure I've been rescued yet. I've never really experienced a new life in Christ. And so maybe you're still feeling like I'm a prisoner. I've not yet been rescued. Paul's saying, look, I have been rescued. What a wretched man. Thanks be to God. And many of you can declare that same thing that Paul has said. But the truth is our main problem remains an internal problem. We've got this sin issue that keeps impacting our relationships and it affects us in different ways look at these real briefly sin affects us in in many different ways here's six things that crop up because of sin look at how sin affects us first it creates self-centeredness whenever you reject god it creates this void in our life that won't remain empty forever and so what we tend to do is we tend to instinctively fill that void with ourself we start filling up Things in our life. It's all about me. Sin does that. We fill the void of self. 
you know, the void with ourselves and, and serving ourselves, getting what we want, going after everything that is available to us. Sin also creates this other thing, is self-rule. We start trying to be the ruler. Again, when God's loving rule is over us, you know, things are right. But because of sin, we've decided to remove God's loving rule. We've rejected his rule and we've replaced it with self-rule. We want to be the boss. We want to be in charge. We want to call the shots. And then what happens is all of our relationships, all these people in our lives, they become our subjects. We're the ruler. They're our subjects. Therefore, they do what I want. So we start bossing people around. We don't get what we want. We raise our voice. We go cold shoulder. You all have different tactics, you know. So do I. We know how to get people to do what we want because we want others, you know. So we start manipulating, controlling. That's self-rule. That grows out of sin. Another thing that sin, another thing that sin affects is this. It's self-sufficiency. Whenever we reject God, we drink this deadly poison that convinces us that we don't really need anyone else. We start thinking, oh, I'm fine on my own. And this seeps into our relationships. And it looks like this. Hey, if I needed your help, I'll ask you for it. But stay out of my life. I appreciate you. I like you. I just don't like your help. <laughs> so don't offer it. We start Again, we start thinking we're self-sufficient. We don't really need others. Sin also creates self-righteousness in us. It's another thing that, another problem that crops up. We start, we start thinking that we are the standard of what is good and true and right. We become self-righteous. Sin does this. We inflate our, our own thinking about our lives and others' lives. The problem is no one can ever meet the standards that we set when we step into self-righteousness. Everyone continues to disappoint us. And we start thinking, you know, after all I've done for you, you repay me like this? That's a self-righteous thought. Man, after all I've done, because I'm the standard. Again, our, our, our little world, it's all about us. Sin also creates self-satisfaction. We start trying to squeeze out of our relationships what we hope we're going to get. We start trying to squeeze out of people things that we expect them to provide. Whether that's appreciation, whether that's respect, whether that's love, whether that's service, whether that's compliments, whether that's sex, whether that's material possessions. We, we, we start trying to squeeze and, and others in order to satisfy ourselves in a variety of different ways. That, that grows out of sin, the internal problem that we have. Another thing is sin creates a sense of I'm just going to be self-taught. Sin cuts us off from having a humble and teachable spirit. And we, we begin to think, I couldn't possibly learn from anyone else. I can teach everyone else, but I couldn't possibly learn from anyone else. And so when people start offering us insight or input or trying to share their life with us, we feel threatened because we've got this. We don't, again, we, we don't need their input. And so what happens, as you see, this is destructive. This is in us. That means none of our relationships are safe. And sin just keeps snowballing and creating more and more problems. And, and, you know, so Scripture, whenever you, again, whenever you look at the mess of relationships, it, the, the core issue is, is our internal problem. And I know this may frustrate you because you might be here thinking, yeah, yeah, I agree, but what about them? Because 
They have hurt me. They have done things that are harmful to me. And it's true. Scripture is not naive about this. The Bible clearly indicates that you are going to get hurt by people, that people are going to damage you because you're dealing with people that are also struggling with sin. And so all of your relationships are infected. (laughs) I'm infected. They're infected. We're all infected with this sin problem. But here's here's the struggle. Whenever you're sinned against, you have an opportunity. You'll be either tempted to sin. If you flip to the next slide, you're either going to be tempted to just respond to their sin by sinning yourself. And now, maybe they did start it, and now you responded. But keep in mind, you are responsible for how you react. It's yours and my responsibility to to respond in a godly way. Here on earth, we will always be sinners relating to other sinners. But, but still, we can respond to each other in a godly way. Look at what Micah, this is an Old Testament prophet. Micah says this, Micah 6.8. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? He says, to act justly towards people, doing things that are just, fair, treating people right, and to love mercy when people harm me, to love to be merciful to people. To love not to repay people for their wrong, but to love mercy. Man, I'd love to just, hey, I just want to let it go. I don't need to make you grovel. I don't need to make you pay for this. Man, I love being merciful. The reason we would love mercy is because many of us serve a God who is merciful and who's, who set the pace in this whole department of mercy and showing mercy. Our ability to be merciful is understanding that we've been forgiven by a God who's so merciful so gracious he allows us to respond to others in a very very different way we don't have to respond in like manner but remember this as we're kind of wrapping things up we're doing something a little bit different this morning but god gives grace for the struggle that we face we we struggle because we're sinful and they're sinful we're going to struggle but but god gives grace this this gift free gift of eternal life but then also he gives us grace in the moment to be able to just deal with the struggles that we face and to keep moving forward, to keep pressing on in relationships, to not just throw our hands up and say it's not worth it, but to say, you know, through God's grace, we can press on. We can remain in these relationships. We can keep working. Now, that requires two people. But on your end of things, you can determine to keep trying to please God in the way you relate. Now, look at some of the things that he provides, the grace in our life. First, his word. This is one of his means of providing graces. He's provided the Bible. And so as we've looked at some of these passages in Romans 7 and James 4, you know, this book is full of truth that if, if you are, if you've been walking with God for 30 years, you need to still stay rooted in this because his word is living, it's active. You open it up and you say, wow, I've read that a million times, but it says something new to me today, something fresh for me today because I'm in a new place than I was a week ago, a year ago. And so we need to stay close to his word. This is rich in wisdom. There's living, life-giving principles that he, he like breathes life into us. This is a means of grace that he provides through the struggle. We cannot go on in this sinful, broken state relating to sinful, broken people and leave God's life-giving word out of the picture. We need this. But then if, if you're brand new to following Christ, again, to begin to get to know what God says and how life really works, Again, think of, it, think of this as like a, a diet. It's your diet. It's your daily bread. I need this. This is food. This is how we grow. Another thing is he gives grace through his spirit. His spirit, again, is it's God himself that comes to live inside.
Christian that provides moment by moment grace so that we can keep moving forward. Anytime you choose, like when Paul said, I want to do the good, whenever you choose to do the good, the good that, that is right in the relationship, that's God's spirit. You're, you're basically you're using the resources of God's spirit. You're acting in his power and you're extending that to other people. That's God's spirit at work. As you learn to walk in the spirit, relating and using the power that the spirit provides, man, our relationships are blessed through that. It's the Spirit who convicts us when we've done wrong. It's the Spirit who, who enables us to be compassionate to people. It's the Spirit, it's the spirit that, that shows us specific things in our life that needs to change. And so he, he, he lives inside of us, reminding us, calling us towards the things of God. Another thing is fellow Christ followers, the, the, the church community. If you're trying to grow, but you're trying to do it on your own, you have a whole team of people that want to see you succeed. And you may, you may get twisted up over the team aspect of it. You may not like that. Or you may be placing too much dependence on the team and not enough on God. And so you've got to keep some things in order as it relates to the team. But there are people that do desire to band with you and, and want to come alongside you and encourage you. And it really helps us at different points that people say, hey, I know that this situation right now is rocky. And I want, to help you. I want to help you look at some unseen things right now. And they remind us of God's presence, or they remind us some, of some principles in the Word of God that help us in the midst. That's, that's grace in the struggle. Another thing is ordinances. And I'm going to explain this, and we're going to take some time to actually um, walk through this together. So an ordinance is a symbolic act. It's, it's a symbolic act. It's an outward expression of an internal spiritual reality. And so there's two ordinances that we practice in our church. One is called the Lord's Supper, and another one is called baptism. And the Lord's Supper and baptism, both they picture our dependence on God's grace, as well as our dependence on even one another as we really try to grow in grace. And so the Lord's Supper, is, it's, you might know this as communion. It's, it was instituted by Jesus. He shared his last meal with his followers. Hours before he was arrested and crucified, he shared this final meal with them. Scripture says he took the role of a servant. He washed his disciples' dirty feet. And then he he basically took bread and a cup, and he, he, he shared with them this Last Supper, and he said, this represents my body and my blood. He said, we're going to do this to remember me. They didn't fully understand what was about to happen because he was about to go to the cross and die, spilling his blood his body being crucified for them. And so for us, as Christ's followers, it's a time for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. That we recognize, wow, I'm, I'm a broken, sinful person. But God, through His love, His great love, He showed it. He demonstrated His great love by going to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, by offering His life in exchange for my sinful life. He gave me His righteousness. He, he took His sin upon our sin upon himself. He paid the price. And God now looks at Christians through the, the perfect, righteous works of Jesus. And so anytime we take the Lord's Supper, it's this opportunity to reflect upon that, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. So there's some symbols. We have um, bread and we have some juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And the Lord's Supper, I want to say a few things very specifically. The Lord's Supper, it's an act to be taken very seriously. 
It's reserved for Christ followers. So if you decided to follow Christ, it's something that we're encouraged to take. Um, it's not meant to be a routine practice. The Lord's Supper is not intended to just be this thing where you go and you, you take the Lord's Supper, you have the, the juice and the bread, and you just do it, and you think it's this cleansing act. Really, it's the process that leads up to the Lord's Supper that is, I think, probably the most important parts of it. But it's a symbol that reminds us that we've sinned and rebelled against a holy and righteous God who, because of His grace and mercy, we have found forgiveness. He's offered that to us. So after this message, the band's going to come up, and I'm going to lead us in a few moments through a time of prayer just to kind of prepare to take the Lord's Supper. But as Cody's going to lead us through two final songs, um, the two last songs that we sing, at any point during those songs, if you feel prepared to take the Lord's Supper, and I'll explain why you would feel prepared or not feel prepared, um, you can just walk over to these tables and grab the grab a piece of bread, grab a cup. You can step off to the side and take it, or you can bring it back to your seat and take it at any point you feel ready. Um, but we're going to have this opportunity to do this together. If if you are a Christ follower, if, if at, one, at a certain point in your life you decided to follow Christ, then I would encourage you, if you can take the Lord's Supper, take the Lord's Supper. If you feel there's a reason you shouldn't, then I would hold back. Um, if you've not yet become a Christian, again, I'd ask you to hold back from taking the Lord's Supper. Take a look at this verse here. And one other thing is, well, let me just let the passage do the speaking. For I received, Paul said, from the Lord what I also passed on to you. He's going to explain the significance of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then verse 27 says, Therefore, and here's the key verse in the Lord's Supper. This is the key one. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is a very serious statement Paul makes. Then he says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now don't freak out. There are two main things that I want to walk you through. One is dealing with unconfessed sin. Sin is, is again, we sin all the time. And, and you might be tormented thinking, I can't think of everything. How am I supposed to think of everything? Um, what I would encourage you to do is think of specific things that God calls to your mind. We're going to spend some time praying. As God calls things to your mind in ways that you've rebelled against Him, in ways that you've done what's not pleasing to Him, call it to your mind, and in your mind just say, God, I, I admit that is sin. That was wrong. I got angry. I got harsh with that person. That was wrong. Would you forgive me of that? I had a wrong thought that came to my head. Lord, that was wrong. Would you forgive me of that? I've had a whole series, a whole week, a whole month of wrong thoughts. I've been doing things that have been displeasing you. God, I want, to, I want to turn away from those things in repentance and get right with you in these areas. As God calls things to your mind, just say, God, I've been doing things wrong. And be specific about what they are in your mind. Confess them to him. Meaning, God, you say it's wrong. I agree. It is wrong. Would you forgive me of that? Thank you for forgiving me. You can just pray that prayer. Um, last service, people kind of, some people got out of their seats and knelt down. Some people stood in the back. You could stay at your seat. You can sit. You can stand. Whatever you would like to do. Um, but I want to go ahead and ask you to um, bow your head. And then Cody's going to be up here.
There's another area is unclear relationships. So after we pray, I want you to also be praying about your relationships, considering if there's any relationships in your life that are broken that you have not taken initiative to try to reconcile. You can't always fix everything because the other person may not want to fix the problem. But if you've done everything within your power to get things straightened out, then you've tried to clear up that relationship. And God may show you some things specifically that he wants you to initiate. These two acts of confessing sin and clearing up relationships are the way that we really examine ourselves to see if we're ready to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And so as God brings things to your mind, Cody's going to lead us in some music, and then I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to give you some time to, to pray to yourself. And as God brings things to your mind, again, call it to mind, agree with God that it's wrong, confess it, and just receive his forgiveness. Let's go ahead and bow together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, as we look at the Bible and we see how utterly broken and sinful we really are, and as we just look in the mirror and know this about us, Lord, it's hard not to get discouraged. It's hard not to throw our hands up and just say, what's the point? But God, again, you went to the cross so that we could find hope and forgiveness. None of us have the power to save ourselves. None of us have the power to find forgiveness on our own. This is only because you've graciously given us a gift in your son, Jesus. So we thank you for that. God, right now, I just pray that as we sit in silence, Lord, that you would call things to our mind that you say are sin and that we would agree with you that they are sin, that we would name it specifically in our mind, that we just determine to turn away from it in repentance and that we'd receive your forgiveness. Lord, speak to us now. Lord, maybe bring five or ten or twenty things to our minds. So, Lord, just I pray we just give you this time. We'll listen to you, God, and respond. with your heads bowed still and eyes closed just continue to ask God to show you anything in your relationships now that are not right Lord Lord, would you show us if there's people that we need to go and ask their forgiveness for the way we've been acting the way we've been treating it's bitterness and harsh angry harmful cold shoulders blowing up at people Lord I pray you'd show us very specifically And again, that we would just ask you to forgive us, Lord.
God, thank you for bringing specific people and specific sin to our mind. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us when we approach you. So we just ask you for forgiveness in these areas. And we receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at this next verse here about confession. If you confess sin to God, here's what God says. This is 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is our hope. That, you know, though you may have committed your life to Christ, He's still, still going to sin. When we do sin, we still need to confess it to the Lord because that breaks our fellowship with Him. And so we need to restore fellowship by confessing sin and then just receiving our forgiveness, being purified of that. If God has also brought some relationships to your mind of people that you need to clear something up with, if they're here and you know they're here, you can always, as we're singing the next few songs, you always step over to them and say, hey, God brought to mind that I need to clear something up with you. I treated you poorly and I just want to ask you to forgive me for this. Don't justify. Let me tell you this. Don't say, hey, I did this, but you did that. Just say, you know what? I did this. Would you forgive me of that? And I'd like to talk to you a little little bit more about that after you know, after service or later today or tomorrow, I want to set up a time. If the person's not here and you have already confessed it to God that you've done wrong towards someone that's not here, then at your earliest convenience, give them a call. Say, I want to straighten something out with you, something God's brought to my mind. And and just, and then, and then do that. You know, taking the Lord's Supper is really about, I've confessed sin and I'm right with people. Um, last service, I shared this with the the first service groups, I'll ask you to forgive me for this as well, because I, I drug you all in this last week, but um, last week I was talking about, we had our five-year anniversary celebration, we were really excited, we were showing a slideshow, and the Lord convicted me that I got into pride as I was sharing about this location. There was some pictures I showed, and I talked about a consultant that liked our location, and I really got into bragging about our location out of pride. And sometimes, you've probably all heard of the little man complex. Um, there can be the same thing for pastors. And, uh, and so, God convicted me through the week that what I said was not honoring to Him. And was really, it was boasting, it was proud, it was presumptuous. And I, I, I asked my wife, hey, when I shared this, did you... And she said, yeah, that made me a little uncomfortable what you were sharing. So I agreed. That, that was needing to get cleared up. But I want to ask you to forgive me because I was prideful. And, and so would you forgive me for that? And uh, I don't know all of you, but if you do know me, then you would do that. As God brings things to your mind, specific things, a lot of times we just need to get it right with Him and I, just God and me. But sometimes it's Him and me and a bunch of people. Depending on what we've done and where we've done it, what we've said, where we've said it, sometimes it's more of an issue where we need to go to others. So take out this white card here take a look at these three next steps the ushers in a moment are going to be receiving our offering we want to thank you for participating in worship this morning before we take the Lord's Supper we're going to receive our morning offering gives us a chance to really give back to God in generosity God is a very generous God he takes care of us, he provides for us when we give, we just we give out of what he's already given and trusted to us we give back to him a portion of what he's given to us and so I'd encourage you to give if you came prepared to give. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. 
But if everybody would drop this white connection card in the basket, we would love to know that you were here. We'd love you to communicate any of your prayer requests to us. So, ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. For those of you who give faithfully and regularly to our church, we do want to thank you for the way you support Orange Crest Community Church. Our church is, is a member-supported church, and so all that we do every week, midweek, everything's supported through those who call this their church home. And so thank you, those of you who give to support this church. In a few moments after worship is out, I'd encourage you to go out those back doors and there's going to be a a crowd forming. So just find a place to watch the baptism. And when people get baptized, again, it's a picture. They're basically, it's a picture of an outward, it's an outward symbol of an inward decision, the spiritual reality that has already taken place. Everybody getting baptized has become Christians and they're it's basically their announcement. They're going public with their faith. And so um, when they get baptized, if you're out there, and when they come up out of the water, cheer for them because this is a big step for them. It's a major step of obedience. There's no saving power in the act of baptism. Everybody's already been saved because they've already yielded their lives to Christ. But it's a major step of obedience that when we see people take the step, it's a huge opportunity for us to just come alongside and support them. You may not know everybody, and so that's okay. We're part of a spiritual family, and so we're really excited for all these people of all ages getting baptized today. So Cody's going to lead us in, uh, in two brief songs. And at any point during this, if you feel that you've got things straightened with God, and at least as it relates to others, you've determined that you're going to have conversations to reconcile, then I'd invite you to go and grab one of these uh, cups and a piece of bread and take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. Let's stand together as we sing. Sing Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less. In Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. Christ alone, Christ alone, 
Let's put our hands together this morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters and to the sea. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember, so remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. For me, great is your love and justice. Great is your love and justice, God. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So remember, so remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. And your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. God, I see your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Joining us for worship. For those that are getting baptized, um, you're